When you hear the term world changer, what comes to mind? Maybe better question, who comes to mind when you hear the term world changer? Now, I know for some of you, uh, you have a few more years, and so your mind goes back to like your peers. You know, you think back about like Thomas Edison, you know, when he made the light bulb, and that was such a great celebration for the light bulb. Uh, Some of you, you go back to your peers, you go back to like Abe Lincoln, you know, uh, freeing the slaves and leading the country through World War, no, <laughs> the Civil War, leading the country through the Civil War. Uh, maybe today you start thinking about like a world changer being like an Elon Musk, you know, with Tesla and, and SpaceX and all those things. You know, I asked some young people, I said, what is a world changer? And uh, world changers for them are like these uh, YouTube stars, like I don't even know who these people are. Like there's this guy named Jake Paul, and I don't know what he does. I just know he's an idiot, but he's a, he's a world changer. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Mr. Beast, and again, I don't know what Mr. Beast does other than give money away on YouTube. I don't know, something like that. What, what about like the Kardashians? Are, are they still relevant today? Like on you know, Instagram and I, I don't know, all that stuff like that. <laughs> world changers. I think all of us would love to be able to be a world changer. If you could be a world changer, what would you want to be known for? What would you be known for if you were a world changer? Maybe, maybe for you, you had some invention that you want to create. You want to solve some problem in the world. Maybe you'd be like, if I was a world changer, I would cure cancer. Amen to that. Maybe you're like, if I was a world changer, I would just have all these filters on Instagram and take pictures of myself, and that makes me a world uh, changer, a world influencer, right? I think most of us would love to have the epitaph on our grave saying, we were somebody who impacted and made a difference in this world. Here's the thing, though. Thomas Edison's and Elon Musk's, those people are rare. Few of us are are wired and gifted and capable of doing things like Elon Musk has done. We don't all have the ability to press on through the hardship and the criticism and failure. Uh, Few of us have that ability to accomplish what he has done. And really the question then becomes, if we can't be like Elon Musk, how can we make our lives matter? If I can't change the world like one of those guys, how can I make my life matter? I tell you, we may not be capable of inventing a light bulb or or flying to outer space or curing cancer, but we can make a difference. In fact, there's this quote uh, that I I heard long ago, and it says this, As one person, I cannot change the world, but I can change the world of one person. See, sometimes the greatest impact that we can make is not some great achievement that we solve solve some big problem in the world. Sometimes the greatest impact that we can make is the impact we make on a single person. In fact, there's a story about Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was an influential Christian pastor and theologian and evangelist uh, who made a world impact. He was one of those people that was a world changer. 
But the story goes, when he was 15 years old, he was just struggling with life. He had a lot of questions. He couldn't figure it out. He was struggling. He's miserable. He said, I was searching for answers. And I decided one day, he said, I was going to go to a specific church and look for the answers to my problems in this church. And on, he's on his way to that church. It was in January, and a snowstorm came upon him. And he couldn't actually make it to the church he was going to because the snowstorm was so heavy. He ended up uh, ducking into this small Methodist church just to get out of the elements. In this small church, there was about a dozen people present. And because of the snow, the pastor got snowed in, so there was no pastor to preach. So they asked this guy by the name of, of Robert Eaglin, hey, we want you to come up and, and share. And Robert that morning had read Isaiah 45, verse 22, that says, look to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Charles Spurgeon says, you know what? That wasn't a great sermon. That guy couldn't even pronounce his words right. But he said, it did not matter. Because Robert Eagland looked at me and he said, son, you look miserable and you will always be miserable unless you look to Christ. Charles Spurgeon said, that was the day that I surrendered my life to Jesus that led to him having a worldwide impact. You know, I think about that guy that was asked to preach that day, Robert Eagland. He's not known. Nobody knows who he is. He's not remembered as being a world changer. But you know, the impact that that guy made by showing up in a snowstorm and opening the Bible to Isaiah 45, man, had a tremendous impact on Charles Spurgeon, who had a tremendous impact on thousands upon thousands of people. We are in the book of Acts. We've been in this book for the last couple of months, and we'll be in here for the majority of the year. And uh, the book of Acts really becomes the story of the early church, how the early church wasn't just an institution. The early church wasn't a place where you came for religious services, you sang some songs, you put some money in the offering, and then you just went on your way. But the early church was a movement that impacted everything around it. Families were transformed. Neighborhoods, cities transformed because of the gospel message that the early church took seriously. As we've been in this book, we're, uh, we've been through seven chapters so far, and it has been amazing because the church has just exploded in the city of Jerusalem. It's been in Jerusalem. And there's all sorts of amazing things happening. But we saw in chapter 7, we saw Stephen was martyred. He was killed for his faith. And as a result of that, this persecution spread out amongst the church and forced the Christians to have to leave Jerusalem and go and begin taking their message to Judea and Samaria. It'd be kind of like, it'd be kind of like God gave us a message here at Restoration Church, and we took that message so seriously that we went to the Northwest, all across the Northwest, continuing that message. This is what's happening in the early church as we transition from chapter 7 to chapter 8. Last week, Pastor Jake talked about how Philip went to a town called Samaria, an area called Samaria, and he's, he's preaching the gospel, he's doing these miracles, and this revival breaks out where there are just countless people coming to know Jesus as their Savior. And all this exciting is happening, and, and the, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, they hear what's happening in Samaria, and they're like, dude, what's going on there? So they send... Peter and John to go and check it out. And Peter and John are like, hey, this is legitimate. 
Like there's something happening in Samaria and this church is being planted in Samaria and it's, it's remarkable. But today is going to be a little bit of a contrast. Because here we have, previously we had Philip in Samaria and there's this crowd gathered. There's a lot of excitement. There's people gathered. There's people getting saved. There's, there's all this excitement. But God's going to call Philip to leave the crowds. Go on a desert road to a single man illustrating to us that God's not just concerned with the masses, but God is concerned with each and every individual. So we're going to be at the book of Acts, chapter 8, starting in verse 26. And this is how it starts out. It says, An angel of the Lord said to Philip, I want you to rise and go toward the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And again, let's just understand the context of this. Philip is in Samaria, and he is leading this major revival. He's a leader of this revival, right? He's planting a church, and the church is just booming. It is growing leaps and bounds. People are getting saved. It's awesome. And can you imagine being in Philip's shoes? Like, this is so cool. Like, like, people are recognizing me because of this church we're leading. And then all of a sudden, God says, hey, Philip, I want you to leave all of that, and I want you to go on this desert road all by yourself. And if I'm Philip, I'm like, wait, wait, what? What? Like, what about, what about my reach here? What about the impact I'm having and all these people around me? Like, like, God, don't you want me to stay here? This is exciting. But God's like, no, I want you to go here. See, when we're first introduced to Philip in Acts chapter six, it describes him as being somebody who was full of the spirit. You know what it means to be full of the spirit? To be full of the Spirit means we display the fruit of the Spirit, which means our character shows love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Like, like that is what it means to be full of the Spirit is that we display these characteristics. But in addition to that, when we're full of the Spirit, it means that we are sensitive to the Spirit's leading in our lives. We're obedient to what the Spirit asks us to do. And here's Philip. He is leading this, this movement, this revival. And God says, hey, I want you to go over here. And Philip's like, okay. Because Philip is going to be a world changer. And the first thing that happens for a world changer, world changers are sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit begins to draw them and says, hey, here's what I want for you, world changers are like, all right, God, whatever you want. I'm obedient to you. I'm going to listen. I'm going to trust. I'm going to obey. It may not be my plan, but God, I'm going to trust that you're going to work through this. So Philip obeys. He goes on this desert road, and it says in verse 27, there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. He was in charge of her treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, was sitting in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, this Ethiopian dude, like, he's a pretty powerful dude, right? He's in charge of the queen's treasury. So if we can imagine, he's like in the president's cabinet. Like, he is a high official. So as he's traveling, there's probably a caravan of people with him, right? He's got a bunch of people that are traveling with him. They've gone to Jerusalem. Now they're coming back. Now, the text also describes him as a eunuch. Now, what we know is the, tree, the queen, she trusted him with uh, her money, 
But the queen's husband didn't quite trust him, right? <laughs> Follow me here. And so uh, as a eunuch, he was castrated, so he didn't get frisky with the queen. Listen, if this confuses you, uh, listen, you can email me this week, uh, jacob at restorationyakima.com. We'll diagram it for you. We'll make sure you understand what's going on here. Uh, let me make sure you heard that email again, jacob at restorationyakima.com, and we'll solve all your problems about what that happened here. And uh, um, <laughs> there we go. This was an influential guy. He, he, he's from Ethiopia. Now, here's the thing in Ethiopia. Ethiopia was full of false gods and idols. I mean, we know a little bit about this. They, they worship the sun. They worship the moon. They worship the animals. They had all these things that they worship. And this, 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 this important man, he's like, these things are not giving me peace. They're not answering the questions I have about life. And so this guy is like, man, these things aren't real. These false gods are not giving me, me hope. And so he's searching. He's searching for truth. He's searching for hope. He's searching for peace. And he heard about this God in Israel. He heard about this Messiah. And so this guy takes his pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Now listen, this wasn't just a short little pilgrimage. They estimate that it probably took him 200 days to go from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. This is him sleeping wherever he could with a caravan of people. Why? Because he's looking for the one true God. He was looking for hope. He wanted to find out more about this Messiah, this Savior. He goes to Jerusalem. He's on his way back. And it says in verse 28, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit of God said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. And Philip ran and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and asked him, do you understand what you are reading? Now, I'm not sure if you realize, like that probably would have been a little bit of an awkward moment for Philip, right? I mean, you think about this story. You think about this dude is in his chariot. He's minding his own business. He's doing his own thing. He, he, he's got the prophet Isaiah out. He's reading it. And that day he would have been reading out loud because when you were taught to read in school, again, you didn't have a bunch of copies of whatever. It's not like everybody had their own book. And so in school, the students, they would read out loud and other people would just listen to what's being read. So this dude is probably reading out loud in his chariot and Philip comes and pulls a creeper move, right? He does. He, he's walking next to the chariot. He hears this guy reading and he's like, hey, what are you reading there, pal? What's going on in here? I mean, sure, God told him to, to overtake the chariot, but can we just acknowledge it's a little bit awkward? I mean, it's kind of like, like if you went to Franklin Park today and you're on your phone and doing, or you're maybe, you're, maybe you're in your church and you're on your phone and, and you're rolling through, scrolling through Instagram and somebody looks over your shoulder and is like, what'd you like that picture for? Are you going to share that picture? Send it to me too. Like it's a little bit of a creeper move, right? Can you feel me there? But here's the thing. World changers, people like Philip, if they're going to impact someone else's life, if they're going to connect and have an opportunity to share the gospel, they're going to be bold enough to get past the awkward moments. Because let's just acknowledge, like, this was an awkward moment. Some of us in this room, we love awkward moments, right? And some of us, we dread awkward moments. Philip is given this command, I want you to jump in the chariot. 
I want you to join the chariot. That's awkward. But Philip's like, hey, God's asked me to do this, and I'm going to be bold enough to figure out how to get in the chariot. And here's the thing. Look how he does it. He listens to this guy and says, hey, what do we have in common? What is, what is, what is the opportunity that God has given me to connect with this guy on? What is the inroad that I can start a conversation and engage with this guy? And see, this is, this is just practical life. Like when we're looking to pursue friendship with people, when we want to connect with somebody new, when we're trying to engage with somebody so we can share the gospel, listen, our message should not walk up and be like, hey, you're a sinner. You're going to go to hell unless you repent. No, Philip says, what's our common ground? What do we have in common? What can we engage on? Hey, I heard what you're reading. You're reading the prophet Isaiah. Let's talk about the prophet. I know something about Isaiah. Let's talk about that together. This is how we connect with people. And as we're looking and saying, God's calling us to, to build friendships or to meet some new people, that's what we got to do. We got to start looking for common grounds. Hey, uh, you're a parent. I'm a parent. Let's talk about how great parenting is. Let's talk about how hard parenting is. Uh, you like sports. I like sports. My sports teams are better than your sports teams, but we can connect on, on sports teams. This becomes an inroad for us to begin a conversation with somebody and engage them relationally to where we can have influence in their life. You know, the other thing I was thinking about this Ethiopian guy, though, again, he went on this 200-day journey to Jerusalem, and now he's coming back. You know, to some degree, I don't think he's found what he's looking for. He still hasn't found what he's looking for. That's for you, Dan, right? You too? Still haven't found what I'm looking for. <sighs> I just sing on stage. Now you know why they won't let me join the worship team. Goodness gracious. This guy, he hasn't found what he, he hasn't found answers, but luckily Philip is sensitive to the spirit, and luckily Philip is bold enough to get past the awkward moment. It says in verse 30 that Philip ran and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Verse 32, in the place in the scripture he was reading, it said, like a sheep led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before his shear, he was silent. So he opens not his mouth. Verse 34, the eunuch said to Philip, whom does this prophet say this about? Is this himself or someone else? See, one of the things I want us to understand is when we are obedient to the Holy Spirit, when we're obedient to what God asks us to do in our life, do you realize that God does remarkable things for us? I mean, this is a softball. This is an opportunity. This is like, how could you not take advantage of this right before you? This, what this guy was reading is Isaiah 53. This is a messianic prophecy all about God's suffering servant, Jesus. Philip is like, duh, I have such an inroad to talk to you about Jesus. Uh, some of the things that, that Isaiah 53 says, it says he had no form or majesty that we would look upon him. It says he was despised and rejected by men. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities that many will be made righteous because he bore the sin of many and interceded for transgressors. This is what the guy was reading about. Philip is like, bingo, 
This is my opportunity to talk about Jesus. Like, do you, do you believe in God's perfect timing? Do you believe in that? Because we see God's perfect timing right here. Philip's like, man, there could be no better opportunity. There could be no perfect opportunity for me to talk to this man about Jesus other than when he's reading about Jesus from the Old Testament. God's perfect timing. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had that experience in life where something took place and you're like, only God could do this? Something in your life where you're looking at the circumstances and you're like, man, it happened in the right place, the right time, the right person. And you're looking, you're like, only God could do that. It's God's perfect timing. In fact, there, I believe there's someone here today and you are listening and God is giving you something that you need to hear. God is speaking to you today and God's perfect timing. You're wrestling through some stuff. You're struggling. Life's not going great. And God's perfect timing today has you here today. And I'm inviting you to listen to the Holy Spirit, to what the Holy Spirit is asking you to do today. Verse 35, it says, Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with Isaiah 53, he told him the good news about Jesus. How could he not? And what is the good news about Jesus? The good news about Jesus is this, that Jesus is God. That, that, that Jesus came to the world. He, he lived a life that none of us could live. And then he suffered on the cross for our sins. And then he was died and buried in the tomb. And three days later, he rose from the grave conquering sin and Satan and death and hell. And then he went up to heaven. But before he went to heaven... He told the church, go into all the world and tell them what I've done. Tell them that your sins can be forgiven if you just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised me from the dead. And this is the good news about Jesus. This is what Jesus has done. And here we have this Ethiopian guy. He's seeking God. He's seeking truth. He's seeking peace. And here's Philip saying, here's peace in Jesus. And this guy has now found hope and peace and truth in Jesus. And it says in verse 36, as he was going on the road, he came upon some water. And he said, what prevents me from being baptized? Some of the other versions use the word hinder. What hinders me from being baptized? And then verse 37, some of our Bibles don't include verse 37. Uh, because in some of the original manuscripts, they don't have verse 37, but I've included it here. It says, Philip said to him, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. And he replied, I believe that Jesus is a son of God. Verse 38, so he commanded the chariot to stop and both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and Philip baptized him there. Let me ask you this question. What hinders you? What hinders you from placing your life in God's hands? What is stopping you? What is hindering you? Is it your goodness? You've lived a good life. Why do I need to turn to God? I'm, I'm good. I'm a good person. Listen, if, 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 if it's, all about having, it's all about being a good life, 
Listen, a good life will not get you ready for the next life because nothing can prepare you for eternal separation from God. It can't just be about a good life. It's got to be about surrendered life to Jesus. Because if we understand what God is calling us to do, to surrender our lives to him, we can't even imagine, we can't even imagine how great of a life that Jesus is preparing for us right now. We can't even imagine how great heaven is going to be. Listen, is it your goodness that hinders you from fully embracing Jesus? Maybe, maybe it's not your goodness. Maybe it's your badness. Like, oh, pastor, you don't even know the mistakes I've made. You don't know how many times I have failed again and again. Pastor, you don't understand. I can't get my life together. Let me tell you, don't let that hinder you from coming to God. One of the things we say here at Restoration Church is, is church is a place where it's okay to not be okay. You know why? Because Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. I'll heal you. I'll forgive you. I'll empower you. I'll change you. Yeah, we don't come to him all fixed up and looking good and, and living a great life. We come to him broken, and guess what he does? He redeems that brokenness. What hinders you from God? Is it your pride? Think about this guy, this, this eunuch. He, he had a caravan of people. He had a caravan of people traveling with him. Well, what are they going to think about me? Like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm in the president's cabinet. I'm, I'm in charge of all the money. Like, like what, is, what if that gets back to the queen? What will the queen say about me? Is it pride that hinders you from surrendering to God? You worry about what other people will think about you? What about your family? What about what, what will they say about you at work? Maybe, maybe you're like, well, everybody already thinks I'm a Christian. Everybody already thinks I have it all together. And if I surrender to Jesus and get baptized, like, well, then it shows I don't have it all together. And people will be like, oh, I thought you had it all together. Listen, do not let pride hinder you from coming to experience the grace of God, the fullness that he has for you. What is it that is hindering you from surrendering to God? I love it because this Ethiopian, he confessed that Jesus is Lord. And he's like, hey, we got to stop. We got to stop the caravan. We got to stop the chariot. And he gets baptized, declaring that he is in 100% with Jesus. In fact, let me just say this about baptism. Baptism does not save you. Baptism does not make you a better Christian. Baptism is simply an outward, visible expression of what God has already done inside your heart. I describe baptism like this. I describe it like a wedding ring. Like I wear a wedding ring so people know I'm married. Now, if I take this wedding ring off, guess what? I'm still married. I'm still married. But I wear this so people can see it. That's what baptism is. You become a Christian in your heart by placing your faith in Jesus. And then baptism is simply the way that you proclaim to other people, look, I'm with Jesus. But let me ask you this. What is hindering you from being baptized? If you've placed your faith in Jesus, what is stopping you from coming forward to say, I need to proclaim this publicly? 
I love this because the Ethiopian's like, hey, I placed my faith in Jesus. What stops me from this? And if you're in this situation, you're like, man, I don't think I, like I placed my faith in Jesus. I haven't been baptized. And today's the day for you to step up and say, I'm, I'm ready. Come talk to me after service. There's a spot in your connection card. You could fill out, hey, I'd like to talk about baptism. We'd love to walk through that with you. But here's, here's the third thing about Philip, the world changers. World changers are willing to prioritize the one. This is what Philip did. Philip left the crowd and was obedient to God, calling him to go on the desert road to the lonely man all by himself. And that man's life, the Ethiopian, was transformed. He was baptized, and the scripture says he went on his way rejoicing. But you know, that's not where the story ends. Because tradition says that this Ethiopian, tradition says he went back to Ethiopia and planted the first church in Africa. Can you imagine the impact that this guy had? Philip doesn't even know it. But this guy gets saved, gets hear, hears, hears about the Jesus from, from Philip. He goes back to Ethiopia. Who knows how many lives were impacted because of Philip going and sharing the gospel message with a single person on a desert road. And I love this story. I love this story because it shows how God might just use us as his hands and feet. God might use us to change the world. God might use us to, to, to build SpaceX and to cure cancer. But God can do just as much of changing the world through a single act of reaching out to one person. Sure, God loves the crowd, but just as significant to God as the individuals that we're willing to go and reach out to. In fact, here's our, our summary for the message this morning. As Christians, we can change the world by being the hand of God simply to one single person. We don't got to do something big and grand and marvelous that, that we can be world changers when we're obedient to God to go and, and have an impact on a single person. Again, we ask that question, and how do we make our life matter? Sure, maybe you'll be a tycoon. Maybe you'll cure cancer. Maybe you'll, you'll, you'll solve some big problem. But consider what God would have you do with the life of one single person. You know, I graduated high school 20-some years ago. And I remember at baccalaureate, I heard this story. There was a guy out walking on the beach. Early in the morning, and it's foggy out, and he's walking on the beach, and he looks far down the beach, and he sees this guy, and it looks like he's doing some sort of dance. You know, he's whoo, doing some sort of, yeah, maybe it's a ballet move. I don't know what it is. I'm not even going to try and dance for you because uh, uh, Keith Real would already talk about how much he loves my dancing. But um, he sees this guy down on, down on the beach, and he's like, man, what's this guy doing this early in the morning? He's dancing. Oh, he's worshiping his God. That's what he's doing. He's like, man, this guy is up so early. He's so dedicated to his God. He's worshiping. I want to go meet him. Just walking down the beach, getting closer to him. As he gets closer, the fog begins to lift a little bit. The sun begins to break through just a little bit. And he sees this guy isn't actually dancing, but actually what he's doing is he's picking up something off the ground and he's throwing it into the ocean. And the man's like, what is he doing? Like, I wonder 
what he's doing. Keeps walking down the beach, gets a little bit closer. Finally, the, the fog is gone. The sun is, is baking down on the beach now. The sand's getting warm. And he realizes this guy he saw in a far way off, he's actually, there are thousands of starfish on the sand. And this guy is bending down, picking up one starfish at a time and throwing it back into the ocean. And this guy walking on the beach is like, hey, what are you doing? There are thousands of starfish on the beach. You can't save them all. You can't, like, 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 like they're going to be baked by the sun in no time. You can't save them all. The guy says, yep, but I can make a difference for this one. I'll make a difference for this one. And I can make a difference for that one. <laughs> that was a cool story. I remember hearing that long ago. I've tucked that in my preacher brain because that was a good one. Listen, we might not cure cancer. We may not do something big. But do not let us discount the impact that we can make and how we might change the world simply by having an impact on a single person. In fact, just imagine with me. Let your mind go there. Imagine with me. What could God do through you? What could God do through this church? If each morning, if each morning we said, we're going to prioritize the one. Each morning we said, God, God, would you give me one person? God, give me one person today that I might encourage. One person, God, that I could pray for. One person, God, that I could speak life into. One person, God, that I could make an impact on. Imagine what God could do if we had that kind of an attitude. God, give me one for today. Imagine, imagine if we walked into church and we said, church isn't about me receiving a bunch of stuff. Church isn't about me coming in and listening to great worship music and having the preacher tell some funny jokes and mediocre preaching. Somewhere around there. What if church wasn't about me making friends and me drinking good coffee? What if we said church is about me making an impact on somebody else? Can you imagine if we walked into those doors and came into the church and said, God, who do you want me to encourage today? Could you imagine what God would do in our church? If we got out of this mentality that church is about me receiving but actually, God, you have a purpose for me today to encourage and speak life into one person. Imagine what God would do. Earlier this year, we invited the church to write down some names of people in your life, family members, coworkers, neighbors. Why did you write down the list of names of people who weren't walking with God, who didn't know Jesus, people that you wanted to see influenced with the gospel. We had a list of well over 100 names. And Jake and I have prayed over that list multiple times. But let me ask you this. What if you made that person a priority? Let me ask you this question. Who is your one? Who is the one person that God is calling you to be intentional about engaging? Who is the Ethiopian eunuch that God is calling you to go and reach out to? See, if you have that one, what if you prayed for that person? 
and invested in them and looked for common ground that you have to engage with them? What if you were able to have some spiritual conversations with them? What if you prayed for that person again and you served them and you loved them and you sacrificed for them? And what if you prayed about that person some more and you invited them to church? And guess what? When they said no, what if you invited them again and again? And what if you prayed about that person again and invited them into your home, to your dinner table to have some conversations? Who is your one that God is calling you to make an impact on? Because as we talk about being world changers, reality is some of us, we have kids that are not walking with Jesus. Kids who need to know him. That's your one. Are you intentional about that? Some of us, it's a spouse or a parent or a sibling. Some of us, we have coworkers and friends that we deeply care about that we know need to know Jesus, but we're flippant with it. Now, what if that was your one? What if you said, this is the one person that God has called me to be faithful to reach out to, to pursue with a relationship, to be able to have a spiritual conversation that I could invite them to church and I could tell them who Jesus is. Who is your one? I want every one of us in this room every one of us, to be thinking about and have an answer to that. Who is the one that God is calling you to? Who's the one that God's putting on your mind right now? This is the Holy Spirit guiding you and directing you right now. Who is your one? Because as you prioritize that one, like Philip, are you going to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit? Let me ask you, do you even hear the Holy Spirit's voice in your life? Do you hear the Holy Spirit guiding you and directing you? Because I'll be honest, some of us in here, we don't hear the Holy Spirit's voice. Because we've pushed the Holy Spirit out. Because we're so busy. We have our plans. We have our desires. We have ourselves. And we're not hearing from the Holy Spirit because we're living for ourselves and not for him. Some of us, we don't hear from the Holy Spirit because we've got some disobedience. Holy Spirit, again and again, has said, this is what I have for you. And we've said, nope, I don't want to do that, God. I'm going to pursue my own thing. I'm going to keep... Uh... Are you sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit? Secondly, as you pursue your one, as prioritize the one... Like Philip, you're willing to engage and be bold to go past the awkward. Again, spiritual conversations, they're intimidating. I have spiritual conversations for a living, and I'll tell you what, when I start a spiritual conversation, I still get butterflies. But you know what encourages me? As I think about how I'm going to mess up the conversation, do you know that God spoke through a donkey in the Old Testament? Yeah, Look that up in the King James Version. Like God spoke through that. And you don't think God could speak through you? See, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, listen, you don't, know, you don't need to worry about what you'll say, about what you're going to speak. He 
says, you'll be given what you need to say because when you were speaking, there's the Holy Spirit speaking in you and through you. Yeah, this is where when we're going to prioritize the one, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and we're bold to get past the awkward, that is when God speaks in us and through us to impact the people around us, and that is when we see our world changed. Restoration Church, you are world changers. Not because you're awesome. Not because you're better than other people. Not because you're more gifted than others. That may be true, but that's not what makes you a world changer. You are a world changer because you serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Because you worship the God who is all-powerful. Who has promised us the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. And I'm, I'm praying for us as a church that God would use us like Philip. That maybe, would God, maybe God would call you to impact the crowds. But I'm praying specifically that God would call us to be willing to impact and prioritize the one. That we'd be faithful to the people that God has put in our lives. Who well, we might just be like Philip or Robert Eagland and watch God change one person's world. And who knows what God does from there.